going to start today's episode with numbers. Approximately 570 million Lulo smallholder farms are responsible for 80% of the food consumed globally. However, these farms are the most vulnerable to the impacts of climate change and the farmers are food insecure on an annual basis. This is attributed to over-dependency on rain-fed agriculture, lack of use of improved seeds, and non-diverse agriculture systems, which are predominantly monoculture crops. For sustainable agricultural production and increased resilience to the impacts of climate change, Climate smart agriculture technologies such as agroforestry are viable options among these smallholder producers. Agroforestry is a system of land use that incorporates trees into the farm. For example, you may have some acacia trees which are growing alongside a maize crop. Or you could have also a system whereby animals are grazing on the leaves of, for example, the mesquite tree. So agroforestry by nature is a more intensive use of land, but across ecological principles. So what it means is when you have different types of vegetation, there is different amounts of resources you can get from the tree. It could be the leaves, it could be the fruit, or it could be the nuts, and also from the crop you will have some products as well. Now, why agroforestry is useful is, it means that apart from getting yields from both tree and crop, you are also using the environment more efficiently. So there is protection of the crop from the sun and from wind by the trees, and also the trees will be having a better use of water resources and feeding back nutrients into the soil and also breaking the cycle of pest incidents. So it has quite a lot of useful attributes, including also sequestering carbon in the long-term tree vegetation's biomass. So it has quite a lot of use. For small-scale farmers, it has benefits in a way that it ensures some sort of insurance and resilience from waiting for products from different types of trees and crops. If you haven't guessed it by now, today's episode will focus on agroforestry systems. I'm Emmanuel Zuza JNR, and I'm a final year PhD student at the Open University's School of Environment, Earth and Ecosystem Sciences. And my research tries to understand the benefits of smallholder macadamia agroforestry systems in Malawi. Today's episode has been made possible through the funding of the Open University's Graduate School. With me today are three brilliant guests, and I'll let them introduce themselves in a few seconds. Yes. So my name is Andrew Emmett, and as Emmanuel says, I'm part of the Nainam Academia Trust, a charity that our family set up in 2004, which builds on work that dates back to the 1990s, working with smallholder farmers in Malawi. I'm also the managing director of Nut Sellers, which is bringing the macadamia from those farmers to market in the UK. And with me, we have Tim and Nick. Hi, I'm Nick. Uh, so, Andrew's son, Nick Emmett, I've uh, been working with him for the past three years on nut sellers, developing our company buying macadamia nuts from smallholder farmers in Malawi to sell to the UK. It's been a great experience. We've been active in a lot of farmers' markets, selling to local and national retailers. And before working for nut sellers, I've been involved in some of the, some of the Nano Macadamia Trust's earlier work. Um, in the 2010s, simple things, typing up data, 
assisting with infographics and presentations, but it's been a, it's been a long time I've been involved with the Nim Academia Trust for a long time, and uh, really excited about this conversation today. Yeah, my name is Tim Emmett, brother of Nick, son of Andrew as well, and similarly to, to Nick, I've been working with Andrew and Nick, obviously, uh, for the last three, three years on nut sellers and bringing these amazing smallholder farmed Malawi macadamias to the UK market. I've also similarly been involved with Nene Macadamia Trust for the last three or four years. And yeah, I saw my trustee of, of Nene Macadamia Trust and communications. Thank you so much for the introduction. So welcome everybody. Because the way I look at it is, uh, it's a matter, for me, the way I was envisioning it is, it's just a matter of just sharing the experiences of why we're promoting agroforestry, why smallholder farmers and why they matter. And then looking at like the recent climate crisis and talking of it, I was, uh, <laughs> I was on the Academia Trust website yesterday and I was looking at um, the picture where we were talking about the temperatures. I, and I think that's one of the key things that we can be talking about to say, like, for example, in, I think that was 2019, where under a shade, it was around 25. Certainly under the shade, in the tree, it's about 26 degrees. Yeah. It's similar sort of temperature in the shade. If you go underneath the mulch, then the temperature gets as low as about 13 degrees. Yeah. You go into the bare field in October and it's, it's 50 degrees C or more. So in the space of literally a couple of meters, yeah. the soil temperature has gone from 50 to 13, which is staggering. Mm. And you were making this point yesterday evening, because in the UK we've had some of the hottest days on record, and you being, you had that same temperature thermometer gun that went out to Malawi to record these temperatures. You were pointing it at sort of stone floor outside. Yeah, in how a courtyard. How did it compare? So we, we actually brought up our gazebo that we use for the nut sellers markets just to see whether shade would make a difference in a courtyard with flagstones and the shade shaded flagstones were 29 degrees C and in the sun it was 41 degrees C so the temperature here in, in UK although it was really hot still doesn't reach the high temperatures that we experienced in Malawi in October and those bare fields where the maize and the other annual crops have grown and have been cleared ready for the new season, those soils, nothing will grow at 50 degrees C. You know, it's, it's bordering desert conditions. If it wasn't for the annual rains, then Malawi would desert it. And I think also in terms of uh, the temperatures, if we are talking of crops, we should also think of to say the trees are providing cooling air for the households around these orchards. So not only are the farmers benefiting through planting their macadamia trees and harvesting their crop and getting income, but also they're getting the air which is cooling their, their houses. Rather than somebody who didn't have a tree closer to their house, they'll be very hot compared to somebody who has two or three macadamia trees closer mm. to their house. Absolutely. So now you're talking about more like a, a permaculture situation where farmers are using a tree crop like macadamia close to the house, maybe with other trees like avocado and, and mangoes, and definitely influencing the climate around the house. Within the field itself, one of the most striking things about the temperature related to trees is the diurnal temperature change. And I think you've seen this in, in your research where if you lose tree cover, the temperature change between day and night increases. And that is most probably the most significant short-term change that we will see in terms of climate change, where the daytime temperatures increase and the nighttime temperatures reduce. And, and this change in day-night temperature is really difficult for people, for livestock, for plants. And I, th I think some of the models that you did show that to be one of the most sensitive things. Yeah, that is actually that is actually true to say with the projected changes in temperatures, especially the diurnal temperature range, 
we are expecting that macadamia tree production will be affected. And with the IPCC recent report saying that Malawi could experience temperatures ranging from 1.5 to 2 degrees Celsius by 2050 is uh, really concerning because that will not only affect macadamia tree production but also other crops. But how can we actually work to having sustainable agriculture systems. And I think a good example is what uh, the Neno Macadamia Trust is doing with Islands Macadamia Cooperatives Union, where you are promoting climate smart macadamia agroforestry. And as Joseph has already said, agroforestry involves planting trees together with crops. And in that way, you are bringing in a cover crop to the soil and also a tree on top of that. So you're bringing in cooler temperatures within the agriculture system. So despite that, we might have spikes in temperatures, but if you have cover crops together with trees, then you are actually reducing the temperatures and making the environment suitable for these crops. I think you found that as well in your research. It may be a small data set and further work is needed, but I think you showed that the cover, the tree crops actually help the annual crops by moderating the temperature, possibly helping with soil moisture retention. We, we don't really know what the inter interrelationship is, but I think, I think some of your early work did show uh, that. Yes, it has shown that. And also looking at the resilience among the smallholder farmers because we are talking about macadamia which is a crop takes about two to three five years for you to start harvesting but if you have a mixture of crops within the field the farmers become resilient for example they harvest the crop while they, they are not harvesting something from the crops and also during times of climatic shocks we saw like during the cyclone and Kenneth farmers who had macadamia and interplanted with other annual crops. They had extra crops because they had macadamia to depend on. While for those who only had maize or groundnuts, they were severely affected because they couldn't rely on another crop. And I think this is um, one of the things which we actually need to be promoting. And we might also talk about production, but also sustainable consumption and sustainable marketing. And I think this is one of the things which Nut Sellers has been doing. And with your recent connection with uh, the cooperative, I would actually ask to say what's that all about and how has been your journey and what are the future plans for that? I think the most interesting thing about this is that the co-op in UK, they've been long-term supporters of, of fair trade. And in fact, the first fair trade peanuts came from Malawi in about 2005-06. And the co-op put those onto their shelves. What Central England Co-op are looking to do now is to do co-op to co-op support, where the co-op members here in UK are supporting the co-op farmer members through trade. And this is really exciting. So the CEO of Central England Co-op has committed to a five-year program where it's looking at Malawi as the pilot of an international fund for co-op development. This is really, really exciting. But I just want to just pick up on something you said earlier about nutrition, food security, that side of things. When Nenum Academia Trust started working with smallhold farmers, in fact, before Nenum Academia Trust was established, we, we thought that macadamia would be a good cash crop and that it would be its key support communities would be to bring income and be part of Malawi's export strategy. What we found is that because of what you were talking about earlier, where families could be short of food during the hunger periods between December and April, when they're running out of food and cash is in short supply, because the macadamia is coming off the tree at that time of the year, farmers are now able to either eat the crop, sell it locally to other farmers, generate income, use that income to buy other food. And what we found is rather than immediately going to sell the crop for export, it, it's got a domestic food security, income security aspect, which we hadn't anticipated. And on that note, I've got a question for you. Right. So when you when you came to UK to do your, your PhD, we had some preconceptions. Exactly. Yeah. Are there any things that having done the PhD, you've sort of realized about farming in Malawi or are there any sort of real take-home messages from the last few years? Um, my study is quite interesting and I would say 
despite that I was faced with the pandemic, but it actually changed my mindset of I decided to conduct my research. So currently I'm analyzing my social, ecological and economic data set. And one of the key findings which is in there is that we are seeing the youth and also women picking up macadamia as their crop. And initially, when I was starting my PhD, I thought mainly macadamia was a retirement crop. But I think with time, this has started to change. And this is actually something which is interesting because with the 2063 plan for Malawi, it actually aligns with youth participation in agriculture. And we know that Malawi is a youthful generation and has a lot of youth. So youth farmers coming into macadamia is uh, very interesting. But also another key thing what we are getting from the research is that the involvement of Neno Macadamia Trust, Himaku, in terms of promoting macadamia agroforestry. And this is despite having no government support in terms of uh, funding. It's, uh, it's quite interesting because this shows the commitment which is there to further macadamia agroforestry in the country. And I think by now the government of Malawi needs to start taking action of why macadamia is important. There is a lot of talk in Malawi, on the radios in Malawi, saying macadamia is the future. But macadamia cannot be the future if we don't understand how the value chain well, I should say the life cycle of macadamia is because if we talk about a value chain, it means we have an end product. But we should now start thinking of a life cycle where everything within the macadamia value chain can be utilized, reused, and then we can reduce. And in that particular way, we are looking at food security and climate action. So these are some of the key takeaways I'm getting from my studies. And also one very interesting thing I have seen is uh, in terms of the soil analysis. So initially, the Nenomacademia Trust, through your surveys, farmers have been giving data to say these are the types of soils we have and this is the sort of nutrition we're getting. And when I look at that data, there is some correlation to what the farmers are actually observing to what I'm actually analyzing in the lab. And this simply shows that we can actually rely on farmers to provide us with data. And I think this is something which uh, the current way of researching should change to say we need to actively involve those who are affected by our projects. So involve them in, say, for example, data collection. For example, when I was studying my PhD, I never had any data. But because of the Nenoma Academia Trust, I found where I could start. And this way, I started forming some of my research questions. So this way of collaborating is a thing which needs to continue and will be key in the future if macadamia agroforestry is to continue. So the whole thing about citizen science is, is something I think we should pick up on. But before I do that, I was really interested when you were in Malawi in April, visiting the farm where your grandfather planted some trees. And that whole realisation, recognition of the importance of the pioneers, your grand grandfather included, mm -hmm. who have planted trees in the past. Maybe not macadamia, but other fruit trees, etc. Would you like to talk a little bit about that and what you observed when you went home to, to your family? Exactly. So... Growing up in Malawi and also visiting my grandparents at, on an annual basis was something which I never considered uh, very important. To me, it was just like my parents sending me to go and stay with my grandparents. But now that I've grown up and in April, as you said, I went back home and I started visiting my granddad's orchards. And that's when I realized to say uh, some of the technologies we are saying that are new technologies, actually, they have always been there. And uh, these are grassroots level where we're talking. When I went, I saw that my granddad had planted mangoes, oranges, a fruit called masuku, which is native to Malawi, and various fruit trees. And this was when I looked at it, I was like, this is an agroforestry system. And it's something we are promoting now. And I started thinking to say, he probably planted it in the 1980s, 1970s. And I was like... I think, I think we found out that it was actually the first trees he planted were in the 
1960s even. Yeah. And the amazing thing is that one of our trustees at the Academia Trust, uh, Dr. Will Rawls, uh-huh, who exactly. has been doing much of, of the key work around the farmer survey, his parents met at Katete Hospital in Zambia that supplied your grandfather with uh, fruit trees. Wow. Yeah. And at that point in time, the hospital was interested in it because of a nutrition concern that they had, that the current farming system at that time was not diverse enough in terms of uh, nutrition. Ironically, at the same time, my parents were um, trading with farmers in, in the Nano district who had also planted fruit trees, and theirs were the, the Nachis, the tangerines, the tangerines of, of, yeah. of Nano. And they used to trade that in a five-ton bedded truck to, to Blanta in, in the 1950s. So there was definitely a movement some time ago to try and get agroforestry started, but it never properly established. And the key thing now is to see how we can get it to establish and how we can involve the youth. And I think a key key for me in this is this is youth globally. Yes, exactly. This is something that needs to be community to community. This is really important that the young farmers in Malawi uh, capture this. And you say it's starting to happen. Yeah. There's women farmers, there's young farmers. Um, would you like to talk a little bit more? Yeah, and I like the, the key word which you just highlighted, community to community. I think this is one of the key things if we are to adapt to the impacts of climate change. It has to start from a community level. This is because different communities are impacted by climate change in different ways. And we don't have a size fits all adaptation or mitigation strategy for climate change. So this is one of the key things that we actually need to start looking at to say, how is one community impacted by climate change and how can we assist them to become resilient and adapt to climate change. And on here, we are talking of um, macadamia agroforestry systems. And we have seen like the communities we are working with are interested in macadamia tree production. But one of the key things we need to understand before we roll out to the whole of Malawi country is why are these farmers growing macadamia? Because I think that's the key thing we need to understand because farmers have different reasons for growing macadamia. And we have already seen it like during the MSDP project. Farmers were provided with macadamia seedlings and some of the farmers ended up abandoning their trees because some of the trees were not performing well. And this could be because there wasn't proper research which was done to say which of the macadamia varieties are suited to a particular area. And this is where I come back with my research to say in one of our findings, we have shown that about 57% of Malawi is currently suitable for macadamia tree production. But that doesn't mean that we can take any macadamia clone or variety into these areas and the farmers will start growing. So we need to understand what are the varieties the farmers like and what traits interest them. Are they looking at the nut size? Are they looking at the flower size? Like are the flowers, are the trees flowering all year round? Uh, are they looking at access to a market? And why are they growing macadamia trees? Is it for food security? Is it for income generation? And there is a common saying now in Malawi to say uh, farmers need to move from tobacco and start growing macadamia. But do we understand the implications of growing macadamia? Do we know that macadamia takes two to three years for you to start harvesting while tobacco is an annual crop? So these are some of the things we need to factor in. And also, we are talking about the youth. How can we make macadamia tree production or agriculture something which is of interest to the youth. We are talking about technology now. Everybody is on a smartphone. There is WhatsApp groups. These are some of the things which we need to start thinking of. And I think a great example is where the Neno Macadamia Trust is using some of the youth to, not actually using, but the youth are volunteering to be collecting data for the trust and in return, get the payment for ecosystem services. This is in a way um, promoting the culture of making agriculture fun for the youth. And also we are talking of women. So women, one of those who are actually affected by the impacts of climate change. Not only that, but also women have to do, like in Malawi, they conduct most of the house chores. I think Will has already done some of his research where using the macadamia shells can be a source of fewer wood. So in a way, if we're using the macadamia shells for fewer wood, we're reducing the amount of time these women farmers spend to go and 
creates firewood, but also we are reducing deforestation within Malawi. So as we can see here, there are multiple benefits with macadamia agroforestry systems compared to, let's say, a monoculture system of tobacco. So I think what matters now is, are we planting the right tree in the right community and for the right purpose? And I think this is where we need to sit down and think critically to say, if we are promoting macadamia in these areas, are the communities interested? And this goes back to what you already said, community to community. Absolutely. And I, and I think what you also said there, the right tree. So macadamia isn't the only tree that we should be considering. We really need to be thinking about your grandfather planting masipu. Exactly. We need to find trees that are compatible with a, a macadamia system. We know that guava is a great tree, but it does have helicopters. So yeah. it does affect young trees and it will damage the young buds. But that's not going to kill the tree off. But we do need farming systems that um, are regenerative, that build ecosystem services, so increase soil fertility, add carbon to, to the soil, build manure, etc. So there's a wide range of things. I'd like to just come back to the beginning of your PhD. And the focus was on issues such as the one you mentioned, how much of Malawi is suited to macadamia. Yeah. The really interesting thing from my point of view was always that the farmers had planted the macadamia on the Rift Valley, of, yeah. on the edges of Lake Malawi, and that there was a huge altitudinal range. So temperature changed rapidly, rainfall changed rapidly, and we were finding that some farmers were harvesting their crop maybe two months later than other farmers within a space of 25 miles or so. So there's significant changes taking place over short distances, which in a sense is a great uh, laboratory for, for climate change. We can see it happening in real time. We can see the differences. Through your research, you've identified that up to 50% of Malawi is, is suited to macadamia. Is there anything in particular that you would say we should focus on, given given what you've been looking at in, in the different sort of agroecological? Yeah, there, there is quite some things which we need to focus on, because as, as you've already said, uh, about 50% or more is suitable for macadamia production. But with the altitudinal differences, uh, because altitude affects temperature and rainfall. So in the lowlands of Malawi, for example, in Neno and Mwanza, where some temperatures become very hot for macadamia and then also less rainfall. And then you have areas in central and northern Malawi which are on the higher side, which have cooler temperatures, they have more rainfall, they also have altitudinal and also geographical rainfall. You see that the suitabilities of these areas are different. And that's actually one of the key things which we need to start thinking of to say, because macadamia mainly is impacted by the amount of precipitation. And with Malawi, the flowering begins during the dry season. So you're talking of around May going forward to around August and September. That's when flowering begins. So this is the dry period. So we need to start thinking of how can we conserve moisture so that when this critical stage of growth is happening, the trees have moisture. So you already said that one of the key things is mulching. If you put a mulch under a tree, you actually conserve the moisture, but you're also regulating the soil temperatures. And in that particular way, you're making the area more suitable for the crop. And then we are also talking of uh, moisture conservation technologies. Farmers can actually harvest some of the rainwater and then utilize it for their crop. And I think one of a key finding in South Africa has been to say, even if it's a plantation macadamia system, you still need uh, intercropped cover plants or cover crops. And this is something which most of the commercial estates that produce macadamia do not like to hear, but it's something which has to be said that you need to have cover crops under the macadamia trees. And you're not only bringing in moisture conservation, but those cover crops can act as alternatives for beneficial insects. Macadamia, we all know that macadamia is a crop that requires insect pollination, despite it having so many flowers, but it's mainly insect pollinated. So if you have a diverse of crops in a macadamia field, that means you're promoting plantations. And going back to the aspect part, uh, one of the key things of uh, my findings is that by the 2050s, using both 
business as usual models and an increase in temperatures by five degrees Celsius, we are seeing that the southern parts of Malawi are vulnerable to lose most of the suitable areas for macadamia production. And this is attributed to the increases in temperature, but also the variability in rainfall, especially the droughts, which are already impacting the area. But that doesn't mean that these areas should stop growing macadamia. But it means we need to take collective action to make sure that these areas continue to be productive for macadamia. And I think just picking up on something that you said a little earlier about youth. So young farmers are starting to grow macadamia. Farmers are generally being encouraged to grow macadamia in Malawi. Making sure that the macadamia is grown in the right area is important. And it's interesting, as the industry grows, there's going to be a significant increase in the number of, of skilled jobs required. Exactly. So there's a really, really exciting opportunity for the young farmers of the families who are already growing macadamia, for those farmers to then be trained up. And I think there's a great opportunity for the Open University to work with farmers in in Malawi to undertake training. Um, and I'd like to pick that up a little bit later, but I also think we should look at how the market understands macadamia. And I'd like to bring in Tim and Nick into this conversation because for the last couple of years, we've been at farmers markets. Uh, during COVID, it wasn't what we planned to do. We set out to supply the hospitality sector, but COVID um, meant that we had to pivot. And we ended up being in farmers market and we were face to face with people. And we've got a much, much better understanding of how much people here in the UK know about the, the crop, about it as a, as a product. I just wonder whether there's any sort of insights either you, Tim or Nick, would like to... Um, in terms of the market in the UK, I think we found that it's definitely the lesser known nuts, I would say, in terms of compared to, you know, peanuts, walnuts, hazelnuts. I mean, mainly because it's, it's the most recent commercialised nuts. We found that there are people who really do know it and really do love it. Um, people who have been on holiday to South Africa, Australia, you know, places like Hawaii, which is one of the first places to commercialise macadamia. So they are people who are coming to the nut seller's store with some knowledge and and they actually like they like it and they want it and they see macadamia uh, on the on the tent on the gazebo and they want to come and try our macadamias and one of the first questions we get is so where are your macadamias from and we we're always very proud to say well actually you know you may have had them from australia or south africa but ours are from small holder farmers in malawi and that always opens up a good opportunity for discussion which is which is really great and we can go as in-depth as uh, as they want really um, I mean some people will come to the Nutsilis gazebo saying oh macadamia I like macadamia give me some macadamia <laughs> uh, but others are, are more interested in the backstory which is great yeah we really enjoy having we've had some really in-depth conversations with people over the over the last couple of years I'd say I think I think another side to it is that the last couple of years have been quite hard for people around the world in terms of cost of living crisis and everything. Uh, but for people who aren't familiar with macadamia, it is an exciting new sort of food type to add to their diet as a snack or in, in the macadamia nut butter. And yeah, we've been very pleased to see that with the amount of people who are new to macadamia, because it is fairly obscure and that people aren't in the UK super familiar with it. The, the amount of excitement that we've got from selling macadamia and people trying our nuts because we have them available to sample in our stores and people love the creamy flavour profile, they love the, the buttery notes that come out when you roast it, especially with salt, delicious. And so I think I can only see that appeal growing and I can only see you know the demand for macadamia increasing. And when you, when you have been talking to people and you start talking about the origin problems, pretty unique problems, smallholder farmers in Malawi. The whole question about sustainability then leads to questions about packaging, refill, what what options are available to source like one, etc. Would you like to just say a little bit more about that? Well, I think working on the scale we had, we all we have done, you know, we started our company just before the pandemic and so we really did have to restrict some of our sales to local farmers markets as Tim's been talking about. And we were in this sort of space for a couple of years I mean now getting into the cooperative supermarket which we're very excited about 
But having developed the product in, in this sort of area, local spaces, people have been interested in local products, and we've also been able to, yeah, get involved with zero waste stores. There's been a lot of excitement about macadamia nuts and particularly the caramelized macadamia nuts. That's gone down quite well in zero waste stores. So people, that sort of space is growing as well. And in terms of the, the whole notion of circular economy, so our original packaging, I think, was recyclable. And that doesn't quite go far enough for, for some people. So would you like to talk a little bit about what uh, we're starting to do with Rolo Granola? Oh, right. Well, uh, yeah, just to be clear, our packaging is still recyclable. Our original packaging packaging was compostable but that was a hand-wrapped plastic thing that was difficult to scale. Our current packaging for our individual products uh, still recyclable glass or recyclable plastic but yeah we're, we've been very excited to see on the refill zero waste store side of things uh, the expansion of that market we're going to be working with a, a company called Royal Granola who are going to be sharing their uh, network of refill uh, stores with us and so looking to stock in a large number of refill stores uh, across the country uh, very soon. And the really interesting thing about what Rolo Granola have done is, is they supply the refill stores with a tub of their granolas or trail mixes and every three or six weeks go back to that store and select the barrels that they've delivered the product in, uh, clean them, refill them and take them back out on the next order. And there's an opportunity now for plant sellers to work within that circular economy system, which is really exciting. Anyway, would you like to say a bit more about that? Well, you know, I, I, I think the point is in just the same way that we're excited about the work that's going on in Malawi with the smallholder farmers, agroforestry systems, mulching, uh, trying to restore trees to the atmosphere and bolster communities. Uh, on the UK side of things, the same has to be true for the product for these macadamias to have their ethical, sustainable sort of tag. And so to be involved in the refill world, the zero waste world, and with the cooperative supermarket as well, having this co-op to co-op connection and sort of raising, raising that awareness and, and, and that sort of thing. I think exciting. one of the key things I'm picking up here is the power of collaboration, where the Neno Macadamia Trust and Himaku are collaborating to assist smallholder farmers in sustainable production of macadamia. And then Nut Sellers comes in to buy sustainably produced macadamia in a sustainable manner. And in a way, we are promoting sustainable production, sustainable consumption, and sustainable marketing. And given the climate crisis, this is a way we actually need to be going. And picking up on Andrew, on what you said about collaborations, um, I think it's high time we talked about the collaboration between the Neno Macadamia Trust, the Open University, and the smallholder macadamia farmers in Malawi. Do you mind talking something about that, Andrew? Very happy to. Um, working with the Open University has been a real pleasure for the last few years because the, the academics that we're working with really understand what we've been trying to do as Native Academia Trust. And it started initially with the opportunity to develop a small case study on STD 306, an environmental three-year BASC course, and that utilised some of the data that Native Academia Trust had been collecting with the Highland Cooperative Union in Malawi and the farmers. And so really exciting for two to three hundred students a year to have access to real-life data, data that have been collected by farmers and the lead technicians from the cooperative in Malawi. And so those environmental sciences students have the opportunity year on year to see what is happening in Malawi with the macadamia farmers. And as data gets richer and more, we're more refined in, in terms of our understanding of the farming system and why farmers would want to grow macadamia in that course, I think, will be enriched. Um, more recently, we've had an exciting development where the postgraduate school has wanted to celebrate the completion of PhD degrees by planting a tree in UK and also in Malawi. Interesting times. Interesting times. And that, that's with the Forest of Marston Vale. So local to the Nana Academia Trust office, which is based in Bedford, the Forest of Marston Vale have done a fantastic job replanting 
in the Oots Valley. And so to have the opportunity to work community to community and to, to share our experiences and see how tree planting affects communities both here in the UK and in Malawi, and to do that in partnership with the Open University and to be able to celebrate the PhD students has been fantastic. But really exciting has been your PhD. So to take that initial interest that the OU had shown in the work and then to be able to shape some research questions which your PhD has tried to answer and hopefully from that we will now be able to identify the next thing that should follow on from your PhD both in terms of what you do yourself career-wise <laughs> but also how we can build on that with, with other students and how we can maybe take some of the core areas of expertise that the Open University have to do large-scale training of farmers in Malawi. There are so many things that I think we, we can do. With the Central England Co-op work, I think there's a great opportunity for shared experience between the Open University and the Central England Co-op, possibly the Co-op College, who have in the past worked together on the co-ops in Malawi. There's a number of things that I think we're building towards, which is really, really exciting. Yeah, I, I think one of the key things you also just said is my PhD, because I can actually say that without Macadamia, and smallholder farmers, I wouldn't be doing my PhD. So I owe it to the farmers to say, it is through their hard work that I'm able to do my PhD with the Open University. And the Open University has really been great, despite that we had the pandemic, but the academics have been supportive in providing both, I would say, both academic, spiritual, and even well-being, mental health. So this is something I would say that the Open University has been great on. And it's really fun times now to say, after my PhD, I'll be able to not own a tree, but I will know that my PhD has contributed to planting of a macadamia tree in Malawi. So I think this is a sustainable way of ensuring farmers have a supply of quality tree seedlings because Farmers have highlighted that access to tree seedlings is one of the key challenges they face. And the Open University, through their initiative, is helping farmers to access macadamia tree seedlings, which is one key thing that is addressing the challenges the smallholder farmers have and possibly promoting more adoption of macadamia tree growing in Malawi as well. Something else I think that's happened, which I think in terms of what you've managed to achieve in the papers that you've written, as part of your research. That ability to disseminate information, give the macadamia agroforestry as an example, but also the opportunity to, to go and um, talk to other experts who are looking at forestry or agroforestry and to demonstrate how a relatively small initiative that Nena Macadamia Trust has started in Malawi in the Nena district. The work of the Malawi government with the NSDP in trying to kickstart the smallholder macadamia industry in the centre of the uh, north of the country. Relatively low level initial funding has got huge potential, and I think I think your your ability to put papers out has been really interesting. Do you, do you want to just sort of talk about some of the papers that you've written and the audience that you've Yeah, so I've actually managed to publish two research papers through my PhD, hoping that I'll have more to come. So the first one looks at the overview of where macadamia tree production started in Malawi. And this is somewhere between the early 1950s before independence, when macadamia trees were being planted as hedgerows for uh, the commercial estates to prevent villagers from encroaching into their land to when macadamia was an official crop replacing tank plantations and then the Emots family came in to start the production of macadamia in the Neno area and then looking at the current production, the challenges the sector is facing, especially among smallholder farmers, the works which Neno Macadamia Trust has been doing and the Highlands Macadamia Cooperatives Union. And I also look at the impacts of climate change on macadamia tree production, both calendry and what will happen in 2050. So I focus on 2050 to align with the Global Challenges Research Fund. So there's a quite interesting arguments in the papers and I've gotten quite good feedback and especially 
from experts in macadamia production, but also from people who are just interested in knowing how macadamia is grown and how it's moved from being a commercial crop among the estates to smallholder farmers. And this is uh, quite interesting because smallholder farmers contribute to around 80% of the food consumed globally. So we need to actually look into how smallholder farmers are producing the crop, what factors are impacting production and productivity for food security and also climate action. I could spend the whole day or even days talking <laughs> about this, but I think that is where I can just say that if you're interested in knowing about the status of macadamia production, you can just Google my name, Emmanuel Zuza, and you find the two publications in there. You might find also some interesting uh, articles on groundnut production, food safety. So all these are related to smallholder farmers and why smallholder farming is important to Malawi. And being an agrarian country, we see that smallholder farmers are key to survival and the economy of Malawi. So it is high time we made agriculture more inclusive, more diverse, and also making sure that there is equity among the production systems. I think a key word that, or two words that you use climate action and we've talked a bit about collaboration community to community but i think enterprise to enterprise business to business universities and i'd, I'd just like to talk a little bit about some of the partners that nenem academia trust have yeah so the key partner is obviously the cooperative union in malawi and the primary cooperatives who are supporting the macadamia farmers. So Himical is our key partner. But in order to establish the carbon damage mitigation system, we do need partners here in the UK. So this is, again, a case of linking the farmer with people here who are interested in trying to mitigate the damage that the carbon that we all emit. And the macadamia trees, by sequestering carbon, take that carbon out of the atmosphere. So what we're trying to do is to talk about carbon damage mitigation. And the reason why we think it works in this context is a combination of the trees plus the crop. So the fact that the, the trees are sequestering carbon and the farmers are paid to look after those trees. The trees are also supporting food security and cash um, security, income security, at times of the year when the farmers are food insecure. And those farmers are also able to trade in that and support the community economy and the wider economy. The combination of those elements mean that the survey work that the Academia Trust has done with Himical um, is much more reliable because the data is corroborated in terms of tree counts with crop that the farmers have been selling through the cooperative. And the work here in the UK has been in collaboration with Crop Supply, a group of academics who are based at Imperial College. And what we're hoping to do with organisations like Crop Supply is to mitigate how we behave here. So, for example, when you're planning a project, to actually build in your carbon damage costs right from the outset. So not to look at it as an offset, as a, a, an accounting exercise once you've emitted your carbon, but to actually build it into the planning process. Factor in what you're planning to do, whether it's flights, transport, or any other damage, and build in the cost. And if possible, reduce what you're doing in terms of flight, etc. But by building in the cost from the outset, you're recognizing that actually the project, the true cost, the ecosystem services that we should all be paying for can be factored into that project. And the payment then that goes through crop supply and Nenem Academia Trust back to the farmers to then support support farms with their tree planting and encourage more farmers to plant. Yeah, I couldn't agree more on that. And I think you likely defined what carbon offsetting is and carbon mitigation damage because I think most of us are more concerned with carbon offsetting but we're not taking into account the damage which we are causing. So I think this is something which we as experts, but also academics and researchers, we need to properly define what carbon offsetting is. Because in my own opinion, and this is me talking, carbon offsetting simply shows that you're not taking account the damage you have caused. But if you carbon, mitigate, uh, carbon mitigation damage, you're actually taking into account of the carbon dioxide which you have caused or the damage you have caused to the atmosphere to 
to cause climate change. So I think that's one of the key things which we need to properly define what carbon offsetting is all about and what carbon mitigation damage is all about. And, and I think this is something that is really, really difficult for people to understand. Having been involved in this area of work for years, many people talk about carbon damage mitigation as being a very, very complex idea to get across. Basically, we are looking to see how we can take carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and reduce the increase in global temperature. And the heat waves that we've seen through Europe, but across the Northern Hemisphere, the, the fire hazard that Europe is facing at this moment in time is significantly increased. And if it's bad now, what will it look like in a few years' time? And as we continue to live under the status quo, if we don't change our behaviour, then we're going to see more of that type of impact here. And we are seeing the same with the small farmers in Malawi. We are seeing droughts, we are seeing cyclones. These are real risks to life. And the consequence globally is just so profound. And we, we do rely on governments to set policy and change things. But as individuals, as small organisations, as communities, there's no doubt that we can do um, things. And Menem Academia Trust, Chemical, Cross Supply, our partners generally are recognising this and trying to step up to the mark to do something about it. And I also think that um, the initiative by the Open University to actually utilise the data that Menem Academia Trust is collecting and to use that to train their students is one of the key things which we all need to start thinking of, to say, how are we training the future leaders? Because the future leaders need to know what is happening. Because if somebody says developing countries are the most affected by the impacts of climate change, people don't know what, students don't know what a de developing country is. But if you show them the data to say, this is the data, can you uh, work around it and try to see the relationships which are happening in there? I think we are actually building future leaders, future climate leaders who actually understand what's happening to say, it's not that the impacts of climate change, we're not seeing some of the impacts of climate change here. Let's say, for example, we're talking of increasing temperatures. Some, of, some people don't understand like what increasing temperatures mean unless there's a heat wave. But we need to actually understand what's happening in developing countries like Malawi to say, what does it mean to have over 30 degrees Celsius temperatures annually? And how does that affect production of your crop? And how can that impact to say if the temperatures increase by two degrees Celsius, how that look like? So I believe that this is a way to go using real life data from Nenom Academia trees to train our students in the UK. And I think the training the students at degree level is really important. But I also think there's opportunity to take these life lessons and, and build them into curriculum for primary and secondary school exactly. students. And I think with the work that Central England Co-op are doing, the Co-op co support, part of it is about training the smallholder farmers in Malawi, about climate smart macadamia forestry and the opportunities for them as farmers in Malawi. But equally, we should be talking to the members of the co-ops in the UK and their communities, their schools, their churches, and to, to build into the the local curriculum in schools. Examples, case studies like the work that we're doing with the farmers in Malawi. Yeah, I think we can talk all day and even all year round. So this wraps up our podcast today. I would like to thank Andrew Emmett, Tim and Nick Emmett for being with me. I was your host, Emmanuel Zuza. Till next time, thank you, the Open University Graduate School, for helping us to make this podcast into a realization. Thanks very much, Emmanuel. Thanks very much to the OU. Excellent. Yes, great initiative. Thank you.